Proverbs eleven twenty eight. we already meant to talk through, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish or thrive like a green leaf. You know, there are always risks that we take in life, and there's a lot of risk that we take. Um, any of you ever played the game of pigs? There's like two little pigs, and you throw them on a table, and you try to get points. Okay, Pastor David and Dad and Molly and a couple others. All right, so... It is, it's a pretty fun game. Uh, it's not real complicated. So you've got two little pigs. There's a dot on one of the pigs, and you just roll them kind of like dice uh, or die, and uh, then you, tr- you try to get as many points you can, and I think the first one to 100 maybe wins. But there's, there's risk involved. You, you kind of have to wager whether you're going to continue to get points, uh, and if, you, if it falls on the side where that, oh, yeah, Thanks, Josh. If there's uh, handouts, you haven't gotten a handout, raise your hand. And Josh Fox is uh, handing those out. I uh, appreciate you thinking ahead and doing that. So I, I'm playing with kids. Sometimes our kids, especially the younger ones, when they've tried to do it one more time to get a little bit more points but haven't, then they get upset because they go all the way back to zero. Um, and so there's, there's a risk involved. Now, that's a pretty minor risk. There's not a whole lot of... Uh, life consequence that's going to happen with that. But in our life, because of the risks that we face, there are all types of insurance policies that you can get to try, try to minimize some of the risk or at least some of the loss uh, that results from the risk that we face. You can insure your phone. You can insure the ring on your finger uh, or maybe even an expensive uh, earring. I, I heard of someone that uh, I'm, I'm an acquaintance with. I'm not a great friend, but um, I'm an acquaintance with, and he was looking at maybe buying a twenty-something thousand dollar bracelet, I believe, for his wife for anniversary. I thought, wow, that is some kind of bracelet. I mean, how do you? Uh, that's that's a nice. So he probably would have insured that bracelet had he you know, purchase it for his wife, but you can insure your boat, you can insure uh, a trip, you know, our recent trip to Brazil, we paid for travel insurance, uh, you can insure your life even to an extent, you can have life insurance, it's not going to keep you from dying, but it will pay your family some money if you die, uh, don't get too high of a policy or it may give motives for your family to get rid of you earlier, but, so there's all types of insurance policies that we can have. Even warranties. Uh, Thankfully, our couch that we bought, a sectional couch, some of you have sat on and seen in our house, it has broken several times. And it's thankfully, Costco is good on their warranty. So it's going to be picked up and taken out. And we're going to look for something different because it's not working well. I don't know about you, but I get a lot of spam calls about extending my car warranty. Anybody else? What the spam callers don't know is I've never had a car new enough to be under the manufacturer's warranty. So I always know it's a spam call. Uh, There's all types of things that try to help us minimize those risks. But there's one risk that nobody's going to underwrite, no insurance company in the world can offer an insurance policy for, and that is our choice and the result of our choice of whether there is a God or not, our eternal destiny. So Pastor David gave a good illustration Wednesday night as we had a gym full of kids and and even some parents uh, watching. 
but as, as he gave an illustration that we spend the majority of our life on just one section of an extension cord and trying to plan everything just right so at the very end of that top part of the extension cord we might be able to live in ease. And the rest of the extension cord that represents eternal life, many people don't plan for. And that's a huge risk. So the next few weeks we're going to look at and be reminded, those of you who know Christ as your Savior, you're going to be reminded of why we can trust in God, why there is a God, and how we can trust in God. And then because of that truth, then all of us should wager our life or should live our life uh, in, in light of that truth. Now those who reject God, and as uh, Psalm says, the fool has said in his heart, no God or there is no God then they will live their life in light of the truth that they believe or they think that there doesn't exist a God. Now we see in Psalm, and I'll read this for you, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the laws of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Notice verse 3. The idea of thriving We want individuals and we want families to be able to thrive even in the culture in which we live. And we see in Psalm 1 verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He thrives. And we have to go all the way back to the beginning to get an understanding of, so how did all this start? Well, first of all, uh, the point or the person that began it all is God. So that's where we have to begin. It all began with God. God existed before creating us and the world. We see it right in Genesis 1.1. In the what? Beginning. beginning. In the beginning. So this isn't just you know, a big guy upstairs. This isn't just a, a powerful you know, superior being. Uh, it, it is none other than the triune God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Look with me if you would in Colossians Chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and following. So as you turn there, we just have seen Genesis 1, the very beginning, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning. Genesis 1, 26, the first part of that verse says, let us make man. So a, a, an early indication of a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man. And then we see in Colossians 1, 13 through 20, even more details about uh, creation. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So now we see some descriptions of Jesus Christ, and it says, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the what? He's the beginning So in the beginning, God, well, in the beginning, God the Son also is triune God's a part of that. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him, for in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So God existed before creating us in the world. And as we've seen here in Colossians, since Jesus Christ is the visible form of the invisible God the Father, then let's look at why we can trust in Jesus Christ, God the Son. God is worthy to be trusted. Titus 1 and verse 2. It's a helpful promise as even I experience some doubts in my life about salvation and if I truly was saved and you know, if I could believe in that. And, but Titus, Titus Philemon Hebrews, so Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says this, In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, which God who never lies promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. God is worthy to be trusted. Why is that? Well, there's a, I mean, we, we could spend a whole series just on that, but this is just a, a little glimpse, a little window. So look with me in John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, and we'll look at Jesus Christ's claims in John 8, 58 and 59. Several weeks ago, I preached a message on one of the I am statements in John. But we see here another I am statement, John 8, 58 and 59. Let's start back in verse 57 to get a little bit of context. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Where else do we see that statement other than the New Testament? Where else do we see that statement? You can talk to me. Help me out. In Genesis. We see it all the way back in the Old Testament where God says, this, you want to know who you can say sent you? Just say, I am sent you. So Jesus very clearly here was saying, I am God. I am divine. So Jesus claims that he, uh, he is God himself. But other than that, Jesus Christ's miracles. From your memory, perhaps, maybe from some of your Bible club days, if you remember some of that, what are some of the miracles that you remember of healing men and women? Can you think of any miracles that Jesus did that you can remember? The lady with the issue of blood. She tried to find you know, other, other answers and, and could not, but Jesus uh, healed her of that. So the demonic boy? Dad? The ten lepers? People, you know, some, some that normal people would run away from and Christ went to. How about, okay, this is a little bit of gestures here. How about... The blind men. Okay, Josh. Lazarus. 
That was, a, that was a big deal, right? So there's all these miracles that Jesus performed of healing men and women, showing that not only did he create the earth and the world, but yet as God the Son, as God incarnate, he comes, he dwelled among us, and he's healing men and women. We'll see in a, in a little bit even some of the secular sources that claim that this Jesus, this Christ was a sorcerer. Why? Because he was performing miracles, they ascribe some of his power to, to evil, but yet we see throughout Scripture, through the evidence of his life, that he was performing miracles, giving credence to his divinity as God the Son. Jesus Christ claims his miracles. Not only did he heal men and women, but he also controlled nature. During our Bible club, some of the students from Mikado even talked about some of the miracles uh, that Jesus did, uh, even in nature. Any of you kids uh, whitewater rafting yesterday try to walk on water? Uh, Mr. John, I think, fell out twice, so he was wishing he could walk on water, but it didn't quite, didn't quite work. Um, if we run out of water bottles today, do you think any of us could go in the, in the kitchen or in the bathroom and, and turn that into wine or, or grape juice? Probably not, but who did? Jesus. So not only is he healing physically men and women, but he's controlling nature. He's stopping the storms. He's walking on water. He's changing water into, into wine, showing that he has full control of even nature. And then, as I already mentioned, he even defied the power of death. Even defied the power of death to say, hey, rise up. And Lazarus rose again. So Jesus Christ's miracles. Jesus Christ's mission. Look with me in John chapter 1. In verse 29, John chapter 1, and verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, so John the Baptist, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Luke 19 says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, to save sinners. This was Jesus' mission. He didn't come just to observe. He didn't come just to supervise, kind of bark out some orders and then run back to heaven. No, he came and he lived among us and he was rejected. And then as, as we sang even this morning, he gave his life. He was buried, but then he rose again. And that was his mission. We see Jesus Christ's historical record, even secular sources. Josephus, for example, a Jewish historian, said this. This was found in an, in an Arabic work as recent as 1971. The Arabic work was obviously a lot older than that, but Shlomo Pines discovered this in 1971 in a, in a work called Agapius, or the Book of the Title. And Josephus had this quote in that work. At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, and those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders." Josephus had no reason to authenticate even the, 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 the validity that Jesus existed because he was a Jewish historian, but he did. Not only Josephus, but we also see Tacitus, a Roman historian. He lived during the first century. He was not a friend 
of, of Jesus or his followers, but he wrote this, Christus, or Christ, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reigning of Tiberius. Again, confirming Jesus Christ indeed did live. He did work. He did operate. The Babylonian Talmud, an important document for rabbinic Judaism, includes a passage that Jesus was going to be killed because he was practicing sorcery. Now, we know, as we've already looked, it wasn't sorcery. It was miracles. Some of you remember from a time past an illustration that I used from a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. So you may remember this illustration that Probably the biggest miracle of all is creation. So once creation happened, then it's not a big stretch to think since God created, and remember, you might remember, we used a Rubbermaid box kind of representing creation in the whole universe. And once creation happens, then it's not a big stretch to think that God who created all this could at times, and in accordance with his sovereign will, either visit his creation, as Christ did for 33 years, or reach back into creation and heal men and women and take control of nature and and even defy the power of death. It's not a big stretch. So we see that it starts with God, and he's worthy to be trusted. We see then the historical account, even secular historians. Now look with me in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4. Even biblical prophecies that Christ fulfilled. Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What New Testament writer wrote those words? None. Did Isaiah live at the time of Jesus? Absolutely not. Did he live maybe just a few years before Jesus? Hundreds of years before Jesus. And Isaiah, by God's inspiration, said this prophecy. This was pretty interesting. A couple days ago, one of the things that happened on our tentative schedule is... Uh, we had, I had this grand idea that we were going to go to some local parks and we we're going to play kickball and beach ball, volleyball. And I envisioned, you know, kids just flocking to our group and playing with us. And it wasn't completely um, unfounded. You know, our family had been to the park before, one of Swift Cantrell Park, in fact, kind of behind the school here a few minutes away. And kids had joined in with our family. So I thought if our family of five can attract some kids, and cer- certainly 23, you know, uh, group can attract kids. The only problem was, when we showed up at Swift Cantrell Park, there was practically no kids even there to attract. So we're like, okay, well, let's go get ice cream, and then we'll come back. And surely a little bit later in the day, there's going to be kids to, to play, and, and we can invite to Bible clubs. So we came back, there were less kids than even before. So I thought, okay, well... Let's go to Logan Farm Park. So we went to Logan Farm Park, and all all the way praying over, God, please have some kids at Logan Farm Park. We show up at Logan Farm Park. It's like crickets. Nothing. The playground is desolate, and it's very hot. And so we decided, all right, we're going to get out, and we're just going to have some fun, and we're going to sweat and just see what God does. 
as we were leaving the parking lot, people were in the vans, the two church vans. Kim and I were in our van, and we were about to pull out. And, and Kim said, let, let me take this invite to this car who just pulled up and parked. I'm like, okay, great. Well, the kid had gotten out, was sitting on the, you know, by the tree, right by the car. And the window was down, and she stepped up, and she looked in, and the lady had a Bible open. You know where she was reading from? Isaiah 53. And Kim says, well, I see you're reading your Bible. That, wh- wh- where are you reading? She says, well, I'm reading in Isaiah 53. She said, well, that's fantastic. That's an Old Testament prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the lady said, now that makes sense. I've been reading about the crucifixion of Christ, and I was kind of wondering why I was back in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, but that makes sense, that this is talking about the coming crucifixion of Christ. And Kim said, exactly right. And they, they talk for several more minutes. This lady lives in the area but goes to church like 40 minutes away in Union City. And, you know, I don't know if we'll ever see that lady again, but for some reason God had Kim in that moment go over and step by her, her window and encourage her in the reading of Scripture, a fulfilled prophecy that Isaiah prophesied and Christ fulfilled. So not only secular historians, but also biblical prophecy, but then we also see biblical accounts John chapter 20, who did Christ appear to first, men or women? I, I didn't quite hear it. Women. Was that the, at that time frame in history, was that the most uh, significant group or person, Mary Magdalene, was that maybe the most strategic person in human history? Uh, you know, thinking to appear to Christ, resurrected to appear to a, a lady? What do you think? It would almost be like me fishing. I'm not a fisherman, uh, Calvin, up in Pittsburgh. He is. I'm not a fisherman, but let's imagine that I go out fishing, and I come back from my fishing trip, and I, I go to a three-year-old, and I say, I caught a huge fish. Now, go tell everybody what Pastor David caught. And so this three-year-old goes, and Pastor David caught a huge fish. It's like 50 pounds. And everybody's like, oh, that's so cute. There's a little story, Johnny or Sally. So in this day, unfortunately, women did not have the credibility, but Jesus Christ appeared to her first, even showing that this wasn't made up, also showing that Jesus Christ cared about her you remember Mary Magdalene didn't recognize Jesus right away until he spoke her name and he said, Mary, that's awesome. I would like to have been there in that second just to see Mary look up in astonishment of like, I recognize that voice. That's Jesus. So Jesus appeared to a, to a woman. It wasn't made up. Uh, it wasn't the most strategic person in human thinking to appear to, but that's what Christ did. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he appeared to how many people at one time? It was more than five. I'll give you a hint. 500. And as Paul wrote the words, he says, many of these which are still alive, that people could go back to and say, did you really see him? But did you really? Still to this day, Israel, uh, one of the, the main sources of their tourist income, people going back to the promised land to walk where who walked? Jesus walked. Even those who don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah are making a lot of money on showing people who do that that's where Jesus walked. There's a lot of evidence. It's not just a blind faith. 
We don't just jump into headlong, okay, my head's in the sand, and I'm just going to believe what I've been told since I was born. But no, Jesus Christ existed. He is a historical record, both secular and biblical, and there's a lot of reasons that we can trust in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, beyond that, we also see Jesus Christ's impact. At the moment Jesus Christ was arrested, did his disciples all gather around and say, you know, take us too, and we're going to defend Jesus Christ. Is that what happened? No, they ran like cowards. But yet, after Jesus Christ's resurrection, after they saw him with their own eyes, and after they heard his familiar voice, and even after they were able to share a meal with him once again, remember, on the seashore, he does a fire and he feeds them. They're able to experience these things, and they know that Jesus Christ not only died, not only was buried, but what? He rose again. So because of that, then 10 of the 12 disciples, as history tells us, died as martyrs. So they, were, they had overwhelming fear at the moment of, of being arrested, Jesus Christ being arrested. But after the resurrection, now they have an outspoken faith. What made the difference? Jesus Christ risen again. That's what made the difference. Jesus Christ's impact on Christ's disciples. Also the timeline of history. Um, 9-11 will be in... in in my memory, I think for a long time of 2001, I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news that the United States was being attacked by terrorists. I was in our apartment building off of Avenida Figueiredo Maria in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in my little apartment, 15th store floor, floor, and Nathan Frey says, turn on your TV, our nation's being attacked. I can remember it as if it were yesterday. So a lot of us that were alive at that point since then have said, talked about 9-11. Yeah, back in 9-11. Now, all of us in this room have another thing that has very much impacted our timeline of history, and it happened around March of 2020. What was it? COVID. How many times have we heard or said that word ourselves? Well, when COVID hit, when the pandemic started, when everything shut down, and it has marked our history, and we think about that, and it continued to go back and back and back. How about Jesus Christ? It wasn't just a 9-11 event. It wasn't just a pandemic. But billions of people talk about B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. Because his life marked the history of mankind in such a way that even our dating, even our calendar represents that. In Portuguese, the translation would be before Christ and after Christ. So even the timeline of history, we also see transformed lives. Another evidence that Jesus Christ certainly is who he said he was and that we can trust in him. We sang this morning, all the weak find their strength. Hungry souls receive grace. The fatherless find their rest. The sick are healed, the dead are raised at the sound of your great name. We've heard some of the stories that you've given. We've heard of Dan and Barb and Mike and April, how God saved them in rural Ohio. 
We've heard how Peter and Raisa in Ukraine uh, shortly or, or during kind of the fall of the Soviet Union, how God miraculously took the gospel to them and how they were gloriously saved. We've heard how Dunny was uh, steeped in spiritism, but yet God used a little, the, the testimony of Marco and also a little copy of some verses in a little Bible And it says, you know, after a man is appointed once to die, and after this, the judgment. And God used that verse to help her to understand it's not about reincarnation. It's about what I do during this life and the decision that I make in this life about Jesus Christ that will matter for the rest of eternity. And all of you have similar stories of how God's transformed your life. We've heard the story of Logan, a teenager who loved baseball, and God used a baseball coach in a Christian school and the Christian school family, and I think Rachel had some part in that too, of helping Logan to, to come to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and then grow in the Lord. Transformed lives. God is worthy to be trusted. We're going to see in the next four Sundays, because of these truths, Why then we can go to Scripture and understand more about what God has created? Why we can go to Scripture and understand some of the gifts that God has given us, like family and like relationships, and how to to maximize those relationships for His glory? We're going to be able to go back to Scripture and understand not only that we'll see, we, we didn't make it to here today, but we're going to see next week how we were created for God's glory and how to live that way, even using technology. We're going to learn in the next session. How we can live for his glory in our methods of communication with each other. How we can live for God's glory on a day-to-day basis, and in that way, thrive for him as individuals and as families. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes as we finish this morning?